Congregation, let's read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17. Question and answer 45. What does the resurrection of Christ profit us? And first, by his resurrection he has overcome death, that he might make us partakers of the righteousness which he had purchased for us by his death. Secondly, we are also by his power raised up to a new life. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection so far. The importance of the resurrection. The importance of the resurrection. Three thoughts. Because it makes partakers of righteousness. And secondly, because it raises up from to, to new life. And the third place, because it is a, it is a pledge of the future resurrection. Why the resurrection is important? In the first place, it makes partakers of righteousness. Secondly, it raises up to a new life. And thirdly, it's a pledge of the future resurrection. Congregation, young people, children, we don't like it, do we? If we have worked hard on something, spent hours on it, a project, something we paid a lot of money for, and it fails. They feel so disappointed. They feel it's all for nothing. It was all in vain. Let us think of the word in vain today. All in vain, all for nothing, all waste of time, all waste of money, disappointment. That is possible for investments, possible for labor, also for people being treated by chemo treatments. If it does not work, it is so in vain, right? We read about it also in the Bible. In vain, it leaves empty. It is meaningless. It is futile. It is senseless. It's a waste. It does not make any sense for nothing. And our religion can also be in vain. Go to church. We read the Bible. We pray, but if the heart is missing, it is all in vain. It does not save us. We cannot be saved by good works. It's only by grace. And otherwise it is futile and in vain. If we miss the point, the Apostle Paul knew that as well. And he writes, 
in Galatians 2, I went up by revelation. He went up to Jerusalem by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But privately, to them which were of reputation, the leaders. He thought I have to talk to the leaders. To them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He didn't want to work in vain, so he preached and talked to the leaders because he didn't want to run or have run in vain. He also writes about that in Philippians. Holding forth the word of life. Oh, he loved that, right? To hold forth, to preach the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. That was his fear. He preached the word in vain. It is bounced off and did not do the saving work. And of course, it's also our fear that the work we may do among you is in vain. Although we know that it isn't. It will also get fruits upon the labor. It is quite often in the Bible, in vain. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He is encouraging his brothers and encouraging the congregation. And he says, be steadfast, continue, be unmovable, don't change your thoughts, your mind. You're on the right track, abounding in the work of the Lord. Because ye know that your labor is not in vain. See that? People of the Lord, those prayers, that wrestling, that being steadfast and immovable is rewarded. And the Lord is faithful. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. It's quite a, a subject in the Bible. Things being in vain, things being for nothing. So it would also be in vain if Christ would have died and then he would not have been resurrected. Then all the work he did, his birth, and his preaching, and his suffering, and his crucifixion, and his dying, would all be for nothing. But it can be. It is not for nothing. It is a result of that. It will not be in vain, because the Lord Jesus rose. He rose from the dead. And that is proof that his work is not in vain. 
Notice the balls, no vacation. There's a beautiful area, there's a river. And one of the boys says, I can swim to the other side. And some say, I doubt it, you can't do that. So they're safe, and also there's also a boat out there. But he tries to swim to the other side of the river. And he makes it. Those last couple meters, he's through, but he makes it. So he has, he has come to the other side. And so the Lord Jesus, he did not stop halfway, but he made it to the other end. And he rose from the dead. He rose from the water, so to speak, in this example. The Apostle Paul especially writes about the word in vain in 1 Corinthians 15. And you may remember that chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. And in that context, he talks quite a few times about being in vain. By which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And that comes in 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. See? And if Christ be not raised, your faith in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And listen to Romans 8, verse 34. That it looks like as if the resurrection is more important than the death of Jesus. Easter more important than Good Friday. Would you agree with that? Do you think? Is Good Friday, the cross, more important than the resurrection of equal? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. It says rather. And it also can be translated as more important. More important. That is also how the Dutch translation it says. If Christ that died, yea, what's more, that is risen again. He did not remain dead. He rose. And therefore the resurrection is the first step of exaltation. And it is more important in a sense than his humiliation. His humiliation was the foundation. And now he builds on that foundation with the resurrection. Or this text, 
For if then we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, be reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. See? There's more, more important. The importance of the resurrection. Our forefathers only spent one question on it. Is it so important then? If it would be more important, you would have expected a few more Sundays, a few more Lord's Days, but only one. The reason is probably because it was not a point of contention those days. It's also simple. And it is also briefly mentioned all the points that he has overcome death, that he also raises up to new life, and that it is a pledge of our blessed, blessed, blessed resurrection. It's all true. But mainly, it is there was no contention those days. The Lord Jesus died. And in what sense was it important? Let's try to go deeper and elaborate on it. Well, the disciples, right? The Lord Jesus died, and they did not understand it. It was no comfort to them. But his resurrection changed their mood, changed their frames, changed their belief, and they received courage. They received assurance by the resurrection because the resurrection was proof of the fact that the death of Christ was sufficient. Think also of Abraham. Children, we talked about Abraham this morning, right? That he was hiking with his father up to Mount Moriah. And that they had the fire and the knife and the wood and no lamb. Well, that same Abraham was also concerned before he had Isaac. Was concerned about having children. The Lord had promised that he would have children. And he was old now and didn't have any. And the Lord also visited him and spoke to him outside the tent. And it was night, and the Lord asked him to count the stars. And he couldn't. And the Lord said, so shall thy seed be, so many as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed it. So what? Why is it so important? But says he believed it, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. Right? That's in Genesis. And the Apostle Paul quotes that in Romans 4 and gives us the deepest, the deep, the deepest sense of that. Here it is. So that is Paul about Abraham and about the righteousness imputed to him. Romans 4. 
and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So the Apostle Paul connects that saying regarding Abraham, he connects that to the resurrection. And he says, so the Lord still justifies many by faith. He was delivered, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is for justification, for forgiveness. You may be more familiar with the example of the receipt, right? You go to the store, children, you go to the store, you buy something, you pay for it, you walk away. No, no, no. You receive a receipt. You may have to show that at the door that you really purchased it. You have, you have to have proof of the purchase. And so the death of the Lord Jesus is the payment. But the resurrection is the receipt given. So now there is proof it has all been paid for. The resurrection means it is paid for. It is not in vain. It is worth it. It is not futile. He did not die for nothing. He paid the price. And so it is that sinners become partakers of that righteousness which he had purchased by his death. By his resurrection he overcomes death, right? So on the cross, the price was paid in full. But the evidence is that the Lord Jesus has risen. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see that still coming back all the time. The good news that he rose, that makes all the difference. It means something more than dying. He declared with it that he is the Son of God. There's evidence for that. He defeated death. He slew Satan. He could not be held by the grave as he had no sin. He was sinless, blameless. What a great testimony. And uh, we must say that we all need that righteousness of Christ, right? We need that. Why? Without the righteousness, without the full righteousness of Christ being accredited, imputed to us, we are lost. 
Therefore, on the con. You cannot live that way. You cannot die that way. So the background of this is that we have sinned. Children. What is sin? If I'm with the neighbor children, they don't go to, to, to church maybe. If they say, what is that sin? You always talk about sin. That's sinful. What is sin? What would you say? There's confusion also in churches on what sin is, right? And some say sin is that you do harm to people. You do harm to your wife and to your husband, to your children, to your siblings, to your parents, that you make it's a chaos at home that is so painful, such a disharmony, so many problems at home. Some say that is sin. That is the main sin that people cannot get along. Really? It's sad. It's sin involved. Is that what sin is? Harming others? Is that the heart of sin? Or some say, sin is if you have wronged your grandmother and said something or done something. And others say that you have messed up your life. Salvation, some say, being free from addictions and have freedom, free of all addictions. That is salvation. Really? We need that freedom of addictions, absolutely. But is that what salvation is? Salvation is that we have, that there is, this, there is sin because we have been provoking God. We have sinned against Him. We have distanced ourselves from Him. And we treasure things and people over Him. That is sin. Sin is sin against God. That's what it is. And that is serious enough. So we need that righteousness of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ needs to be applied. So we can be partakers of it. Do you want another example, children? You have been visiting in the hospital. Maybe your grandmother, grandfather, a friend. And you were there at lunchtime. And there was a lady coming with a tray of food and places it on the table and says, Here, eat well. And she leaves again. But your grandma is not doing well. She can't even move her hand. She can't even hold a spoon. So you lift that lid from the tray, and you take a spoon, and you take a little bit of mashed potatoes, and you just say, Oma, open your mouth. And you feed her. Right? So it is not only good that she received the food on the table, and it is good and warm and tasteful. Someone needs to help her even to put it in the mouth. That's also a grace. 
The Lord can provide grace and put it in front of you. Salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good and it's precious and it's worth it. But what if you have no use over your hands? If you can't move, do you need someone to help you? And that is the Lord's work in spiritual life. The Lord does not only provide, he puts it in your heart. He brings it in you so that you become a partaker of it. And that is acquired in the resurrection. In the resurrection of Christ, the sinner becomes a partaker. By his resurrection, he has has overcome death, that he might make us partakers of that righteousness, which he had purchased for us by his death. Lord Jesus purchased it and applies it. See? So we need that righteousness. And he makes, he is, he makes partakers of it. Let's go to the second part. He raises up to a new life. Secondly, we are also by his power raised up to a new life. We go there, but I take my time to just lead you through the Bible and then we just take a turn and we see the the resurrection again. So I like to talk about the expression with him. I did before, but I think I can elaborate on that a little bit more. With him, with Christ. Biblical expression. And let me just mention a, a number of texts with, with him with him in there. So you get the, the taste of it and the, see the importance of it. Therefore, we are buried. Think of a funeral. Therefore, we are buried with him. By baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So being buried with Christ. Christ was put in the sepulchre, and Paul says, I was included there. I was also buried. I was buried with him. Or this text. Knowing this, that our old man, God's people of an old man and a new man, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin 
So God's people are crucified themselves. Now you see the cross of the Lord Jesus. He was crucified. And Paul says, my old man is crucified with him. Such a connection with Christ. That his crucifixion is my crucifixion. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So it is not only crucified and being buried, it is also being dead in him. So the death of Christ, that he just hang his head, Yield of the ghost, that death, that, death, that death of Christ is also the death of the believer. We believe that we shall also live with him. And there is way more than being buried with him and crucified with him and live with him. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joined heirs with Christ. Christ received the heritage. Christ was the heir of all things. His death was that also instrumental. So the church is also an heir with Christ. Christ is receiving all things. So the church also receives all things with him. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for his all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So God's children receive all things. All things. They inherit all things. Because Christ did. And they are co-heirs with Christ. There's more. We then, as workers, together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. So God's people and God's servants, they are instruments in the hands of God for evangelization. And they are workers together with him. They work with him. Someday God's people will appear, right? In the last day of the world. And the grave will be opened. And God's people in heaven also will appear. What did they say? God's people will appear. Yes, they will. When Christ, who is our life, yours too, when Christ is our life, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. In glory. 
Do you know about the Ascension Day? What happened on Ascension Day, children? Lord Jesus ascended and is sitting on the right hand of the Father. He's sitting there alone, also with the church. Is the church in him, on the right hand of the Father? Ephesians 2 verse 6, And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So the church of God is bathed with him, lives with him, is working together with him, is air with him, is sitting with him, and there's more. But what do we learn from this list of expressions? We learn that Christ is the head. Of the body. The church is the body and the Lord Jesus is the head. And the head and the body are inseparable. Always together. They cannot exist without each other. The Lord Jesus has a church. His body. The church has a head. The Savior. So they're always together. And therefore, the church of God is also raised from the dead. And they are also, therefore, partakers of that New Testament, of, of that new, of that person's possession. But now Christ is also, in his resurrection, the one who gives new life. And let the old man be crucified. And Christ in this way, frees from sin and rescues from unrighteousness with him. Sometimes we don't see the word with, sometimes we see the word in. He that eat my flesh and drink my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bring forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. See, because you are even weak in him. And chosen in him. According as he has chosen us in him. Is there anything for God's children that is not received in him? No. It's all with him, in him, through him. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Someday the Lord will find us. No? He will find you. He will find me. How will the Lord find you? In what frame? Here it is. And be found in him. 
who sets everything, being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So you see through the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he quickens his people to a new life. And they change. The old man is crucified. And the war begins. The war against sin. The war against iniquities. The war against all, everything that is not right. And they begin to fight with the old man. And there's a war going on. But someday they will be found in him. You, if the Lord will come today, but will we find you in him, wrapped in him, covered with him, to be found in him. See, that is the faith we need of and the life we need of. Colossians 2, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. To walk in him. Close to him. Or in Colossians 2, verse 7, rooted and built up in him. In him. Established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And ye are complete in him. Complete in him. Are you? We are not complete at all. We have lack of everything. Being complete in him, to be rooted in him, to build up in him, to be found in him, to be quickened with him. So this all is about that connection, right? The connection of Christ with his church. They're the bride. He's the bridegroom. He's the vine. They're the branches. And everyone who is in him is, has suffered with him, has been buried with him, has been raised with him, has been set with him, is also in everything and walks in him and is chosen in. It's all about Christ. So I hope you see now that you really need all those things. You need that to be with him and in him. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He works faith. Go back to Abraham. Abraham saw the stars, right? The Lord said, so shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. So that believing is so crucial. That believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that believing makes the connection. That believing is 
but we need to be in him and with him. Think of 2 Corinthians 5. For he has made him, made the Lord Jesus, has made him the Father. The Father, he has made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's only possible in him. You can find any righteousness outside of him. So if you don't know anything of him, don't attend the Lord's Supper. If you don't know anything of him, don't pro- profess anything yet. But seek to know the Lord Jesus. He died. He rose. And you need to be in him and with him. Well, does the resurrection of Christ profit us, profit you? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death. He conquered. That he might make us partakers of the righteousness which he had purchased for us by his death. So distinguish between being purchased by his death and also being made partakers after that, brings you the third thought, a pledge. Congregation, look at the last lines of the Lord's Day 17. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. You see a footnote 3 there on the next page. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So the Lord Jesus rose apparently by the spirit. The Father raised him. He rose himself. He was also raised by the Spirit. It was the work of the triune God. But that same Spirit that raised Christ is also raising God's people. He's also raising them, quickening them, quickening their mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in them. So that is a pledge. I looked it up, the pledge, it has different meanings. Here it probably means not much more than promise. A very solemn promise. It maybe it is a vow, he vowed that promise. He pledged it, he promised it, he guaranteed it. He also gives that deposit in the heart. And he guarantees it. It is a token. It is a collateral. So the promise is given to them. The promise of eternal life. With soul and body. 
very impressive is the ending of the Belgian Confession. You may remember this. The last words of the Confession. Therefore, we expect that great day with the most ardent desire to the end that we may fully enjoy the promises of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See that? So give the breath in a time of persecution wrote that entire document of the Belgian Confession and he was so assured himself. He also noted in the, in, in, in the ending, he noted that the church will be raised. And do we not pray all the time, thy kingdom come? The same. Not only the kingdom in the heart, not only the kingdom in the, in the country, not only the kingdom in the preaching, but the kingdom of God coming in its final state. For we have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. I will not tell you. So it won't take a long time. We know that in the Lord's eyes, one day is like a thousand years. But yet the Bible says, count on it. It is possible any time, any day, that the Lord Jesus returns, and that we then may be found in him, that it may be covered with him. We find that promise in several places in the Bible. Isaiah 65, For behold, I create new heavens and the new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So when that new earth comes, the old world is fading. It won't even come to our mind anymore. All that future kingdom is a blessed kingdom. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. No sin, no division, no disagreement, no quarreling, no fights, no... Nobody, yes, you don't vote, don't, don't be there. And I saw new heaven, new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. No more sea. The sea in the Bible is the expression of the power of Satan. The sea is no more. The sea is against God's church as a symbol. Think also of the tempest on the Lake of Galilee. 
And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This communion of the church with Christ. And he is all in all. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is a promise of that future resurrection. It is coming. The Lord has laid so much in store for his people. They will rise. Also think of Ezekiel 37. Do you remember the time, right, that Ezekiel saw a vision of the dead bones scattered in the valley? And those bones are very dry and it's very disorganized, just scattered. And the Lord asked Ezekiel if those bones would live. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He said, thou knowest. The Lord is free. The Lord can do it. Does not have to do it. So then he needs to prophesy to those dead bones. So that we learn from that, that we preach not only to God's people, we preach to them that have no idea of God. We preach to them so hostile. We preach to the enemies of Christ. And Ezekiel, he did what the Lord commanded him to. He commanded to speak to those dead bones like I do tonight. There are people alive and also dead bone people. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone, making the right skeletons. When I beheld the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds and breathe, or breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. See? That is an example, a prophecy regarding Israel. Israel will return back from the captivity. Also, the Lord Jesus will rise. If he suffer, we shall also reign with him. 
Congregation, we are going to close. I have two impressive words for you still. For the young people, I thought, and I said, no. For the elderly, no. For the whole congregation. Two texts with the word vain in there. Kind of a closing text. Isaiah 45, verse 19. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. No, the Lord never said that. He never said, seek me for nothing. Seek me and I won't hear you. Seek me and it will all be a waste of time. No, seek ye me in vain. The Lord will never say that. So I start again the text. I have not spoken in secret in the dark place of the earth. I said not, not, I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. He cannot lie. So you may go home and plead with the Lord. You say, Lord, there was a word for dead bones tonight. There was a word for them that don't seek. And the Lord has said that he has never said, seek me in vain. And something similar in Isaiah 55. So shall my word be, be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return empty void. It's very close to vain, void. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing thereto I send it. See? The Lord continues. His word shall not return void. The preaching will not be in vain. The Lord simply, constantly proceeds until the last one is brought in. This is his work. But congregation, we need to be in him and with him, connected to him. So that he is our delight, that he is our savior. And without him, there's no hope. Without him, the Lord ha- has no pleasure in us. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do you hear me? The Lord has never said, seek me for nothing. The Lord says, seek me and live. Amen.